All right, now Evan's going to do a cool intro. Ready, go. All right, welcome back, fellow gemstones, to another episode of the Gems of History podcast. I'm your host. Yeah, I'm the host. <laughs> <laughs> what is this voice? You, this it's is like what a hap- true crime documentary voice. This is what happens when you put me in a corner. <laughs> when you put a dog in the corner, and he bites. <laughs> Richard stabbed his wife 13 times. <laughs> Welcome back, <laughs> gemstones. Also, that's that's good. I actually like that. Phew. Yeah. Oh, gemstones. Yeah, sure. Or we could call them Geo dudes. Like, oh, the Pokemon. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's a, that's what our listeners are. Cause we're about rocks, I guess. Yeah. I always love that Pokemon's physique. Like he's just like a solid rock center, and then just like string bean arms. He knows he's like got it going on though. Right. He's very confident. Come on, play Pokemon right now. Can we log off? You got to introduce the show. Oh, it's my job? <laughs> you said you're the host this time. Shoot. I flew close, too close to the sun. <laughs> so it's another episode of also, the Gems Also, we didn't even say that our last episode is episode 50, so congrats to us. Was for it really? It to 50 episodes, yeah. Oh my goodness, look at us. Sorry, now you can do your intro. I know, I'm trying to <laughs> do an intro. I immediately interrupted you after telling you to do it. Can you imagine, or just listeners... Do do you see or do you can you hear the amount of disrespect that I have to just go through every single episode for fifty episodes? <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, welcome back to another episode of the Gems of History podcast. I am your host Evan Roosh, and joining me, as always, is my co-host Hey J- Jacob Shop. Oh, that's me. Good job. Thank you. I'm <laughs> sweating profusely. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard, but just dripping over here hey you did great you know kid you're really coming up strong thanks dad <laughs> we're back with more mafia shenanigans as evan i think evan called it last time yep we're uh <laughs> here with Maf- mafia shenanigans we literally talked about it two seconds mafia shenanigans two prohibition boogaloo, boogaloo. <laughs> yes this is gonna be an exciting one we're gonna talk all about how people couldn't drink alcohol which made everyone crazy and how the mafia pretty much moved from New York and expanded and all that good stuff. Yeah, it really became a global empire, like a legit had operations in all major cities throughout America and made an incredible amount of money. Um, but yeah, really excited to dive into kind of the key point of, or like let's call it the, the summit of mafia activity um, in the United States. Yeah. Definitely. Pinnacle. That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely, I'm trying to think of like the shining achievement of a movie franchise. This is their Shrek 2. This is is when they really come into their own and and do their best work. You had Godfather 2 right there. Considered by so many to be the best movie of all time. Yeah, but Shrek 2 and is you also were like, considered one of the best movies of all time. That so. is true. They have the best scene with that <laughs> I need a hero scene. That's just the best scene of all time. That is, it's, that's really telling that that's the first movie I thought Shrek of as two. like a crowning achievement of cinema. Yeah, cinematic masterpiece. Uh, and we were worried that this intro wasn't going to be good. Yeah, we... Behind the gems... <laughs> We were literally looking at each other like, how do you want to intro this? Like, we talked about a fake superhero last time. How do we do this? But gosh dang it, we hey, did it. 51 episodes and we still don't know how to do intros. Yep. Still got it. But or yeah, never had it. it <laughs> one of the two. I guess the listeners can decide for us. Mm-hmm. But Evan, you want to start us off or take us through the, the good old 1910s and onward? You betcha, bud. So, picking off... Uh, or picking up where we left off uh, last time, where we talked, uh, where we finished with talking about the Black Hands and how that kind of set up uh, what the mafia and what organized crime would become going forward with the arrest of Giuseppe Morello, who was the first, uh, first head of, excuse me, was the head of the first mafia gang in New York at the time. Um, after that, uh, in the 1910s, there were two dominating groups uh, of mafia activity. Mm-mm-mm. Talk about prohibition, huh? Yeah. <laughs> take that, take that, Christian white woman in the 20s. <laughs> 
who's who's winning now? Yeah. Me, because I'm still alive. Guess what? <laughs> Alcohol won. Soon weed is going to win. Like, you're down bad. Fingers crossed. Yeah. We always find a way to talk about legalizing Looking weed. Looking at and, you, Tavern League of Wisconsin. And, like, none of us really we don't smoke. <laughs> I had to explain to my friends what the Tavern League of Wisconsin was today from oh, out really? of state. Because I told them, like, because we were talking about how weed should just be legal. And one of them from Texas didn't know what it was. So I was like, how do I explain this, like, in a yeah. succinct way? So I was like... <laughs> Because I, I was researching the mafia, so I was like, it's basically a mafia of bar owners that pressure other bars to join, or they t- pretty much doom them to fail. Yep. So, there you go. That's what the Tavern League of Wisconsin is. Yeah, yeah that's kind of budged up. Anyways, Anywho. that side tangent over. <laughs> but uh, the two major mafia groups in the 1910s would go to actual mafia gang war. From 1915 to 1917. I thought you were going to say conventions. They would go to mafia <laughs> conventions. <laughs> yeah, they would all get free shirts and like pencil sharpeners. Someone's and passing supplies. out like a pocket Bible, but it's just like a hit list. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these uh, two organizations, there was a family known as the Camorra, and then the other was known as just like the actual official mafia or the mafi mafiosas. What have you. After arrests and convictions for the murders of several mafia members led to the collapse of the Camorra, uh, as well as the imprisonment of mafia bosses Giuseppe Morello, which we talked about last episode, as well as Ignazio Lupo, uh, this led to one of the captains, Salvatore de Aquila, again, so many strong names. Salvatore. Also, no idea if we pronounce any of them right. <laughs> I have gone 51 episodes of just assuming that I have and knowing that I have not. Oh, yeah. But Ignorance why is change? bliss. Yeah. <laughs> we made it this I far. I looked up by... how to pronounce a guy's name one time and immediately forgot how to do it once we started recording. So I, after that, I was like, I'm just going to wig it. I looked up how to pronounce Zufu, and that was episode one, and I have not done so since. Um, but Salvatore de Aquila, uh, once he became the head of the mafia, ordered the murders of Giuseppe Morello and Ignazio Lupo to confirm his rise to the head of the mafia, uh, as well as ordered a hit on a man named Masseria, who was also a powerful ally of Morello and Lupo. All three of these hits failed and started an even bigger war between Masseria, Morello, Lupo, and De Aquila. So... You, at this point, is it officially known as La Cosa Nostra? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. This is building up. Let's consider this the prequels to the war that would make the official uh, Cosa Nostra. Okay. Because I didn't have in my notes like when that officially became mm-hmm. a thing. So This very violent, very bloody war ended in 1922 with Masseria becoming the boss of the Morello family, who came out on top. And by extension, became the head of one of the largest Italian-American crime organizations in America, officially launching not the Casa Nostra, but the prequel to La Casa Nostra. Also, the great-grandfather of Tom Morello. Like, for real? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Because I saw that name, too. I'm like, there's no way. Like, <laughs> I guess there's I would, no I way. I guess it would probably just be the grandfather, not the great-grandfather. I always definitely like assume, years. yeah, I always assume that these guys are like sand, like old as sand. Yeah, I know. I always forget that America's only like 200 something years old. Just a real baby yeah, country. And then you go to Europe and they're like, this building was built in the 1550s. I'm like, yeah, like Whoa. BC, like come again. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me there's things outside of America before it. Yeah, they're called mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> we got it right. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Everyone from the outside of the country that listens to us is just like, God, these guys are the worst. Well, I just hope that they like listen to other episodes and just realize how much like we just destroy our own country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to, I think we have 33 countries that listen now. So the, the 32 that aren't America, thank you. Yeah, God bless. But imagine me saying God bless in your own native tongue. Yes. So fast forward to the end of the 20s, uh, two primary factions again emerged in the Italian criminal underground organization in New York. And Joseph Massarea, who controlled the two groups, sparked the so-called 
who from pronunciation uh Kessa ya Marseille Maurice war let's try it again Kesta ye Maurice war do you have any idea I don't know what it's spelled like so I can't help you here C A S T E L L and that's not going to help at all no <laughs> Uh, but that war launched in 1928 uh, when he tried to gain control of organized crime officially across the country. So this was his big power move to really take over basically all pockets of mafia and criminal activity across the United States at the time. Lofty goals. Shoot for the stars, land on the moon, I guess. Yeah. And at this point, the prohibition is pretty much like in effect yes so very much so that's that's one of the driving factors as to why the mob pretty much got organized because once it for those of you that don't know what the prohibition is basically there is a a group primarily led by a bunch of white christian women that were upset because their husbands were getting drunk all the time because (laughs) There is a scarcity of like clean drinking water across mm-hmm. the country because, as we mentioned last episode, the hygiene aspect of the American culture was not very high at this point. The standards are pretty low. So most people just kind of turned to drinking beer instead of drinking anything else because it was they knew it was digestible and mm-hmm. like not going to make them vomit. So that... With all these guys drinking all the time, not only were there just a bunch of drunks all over the place, but domestic violence was steadily climbing as a result. And so rallies across the country started forming up, pretty much saying we need to ban alcohol sales across the country so that this can't keep going on. And it had a good intention behind it, but it pretty much spurred the rise of organized crime because then you had bootleggers who were running alcohol across state lines you had brothels popping up that were selling illegal alcohol in the back you had speakeasies which were pretty much just hidden bars which you could still go to some speakeasies today because they still have them set up as like examples of what it was like and that's that's how the mob started really making money Mm -hmm. so at this point they're like we aren't and like just disenfranchised thugs anymore. We're actually like a business. And this is pretty much where it becomes an enterprise. We talk about it a lot, but like they, or we talked about this last episode, like they saw an opportunity to deliver a much needed service, much needed product to, I guess at this point, primarily men, uh, basically just to get some drinks. Yeah. And they made a crazy amount of money on it. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of where the like U.S. justice system is going to start having field days, pretty much just scapegoating a lot of people and also just like using their authority to the fullest extent because they know that this is their time to become vigilant, not vigilante heroes, but kind of mm-hmm. like they're setting up sting operations on all of these big name guys and pretty much just saying let your guns loose if you have to. So yeah. it becomes lawless from both sides at this point. And there, I, I mentioned this to Evan before we started recording about how this kind of echoed today, not as much like currently, but in the past like 30, 40 years with the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Because we had at this in the 20s, we had prohibition because there's everyone was drinking and the Christian women primarily were the ones leading the charge. And then once the 60s rolled around, we had the hippie movement and all of these drugs started to start floating around like LSD and marijuana primarily. And then pretty much led to the satanic panic where anyone who smokes weed or does drugs is in league with the devil and needs to be stopped. So then there's crackdowns on people and illegal arrests from that. So it's there's still echoes of stuff like this today. Mm-hmm. And that's why we personally as the podcast think that marijuana should be just federally legal because then it would get rid of a lot it wouldn't get rid of it because it's still you know have a lasting effect but it's going to help a lot in the cause of unjust arrests and all that stuff so it's it's very much a history repeats itself scenario yeah history always repeats itself just has different players different characters and a different bad guy yeah basically and it's it 
in both cases, it was the government making a stand on a certain thing and then letting it get out of hand until they mm-hmm. had to pretty much st- say, like, we started this and we need to stop it. <laughs> right. Exactly. But going back to, and I looked it up, the Casta Maurice War. So Casta Ye Maurice. That's Ye- pronunciation for you. Ye Maurice. Ye Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> Go Maurice. Uh, so this war officially began on February 26th in 1930 with the murder of Gaetano Reina. Reina was the head of a small but prominent crime family and controlled parts of the Bronx as well as Harlem. But more, or in particular, he controlled the ice rackets. So businesses that distributed ice, but it was just a laundering scheme. Like NFTs. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) I saw an NFT that sold sold for $500,000 yesterday. And I looked at my phone for like three minutes. I'm like, why do I even go to work? I... I don't I don't know. I But then again, I still don't understand what an NFT is. So I don't get it. I watch videos to try to understand it. I I, I never even put in that much effort. I just under like accepted that I'm never going to get it. Right. Like I saw it. I'm like, "Well, maybe this could be like the next thing about crypto or like next crypto." And then I just I, it's a picture. Like yeah, it's it's I, nothing. It's not even good pictures. I They're just, nothing. I just don't understand. <laughs> I think it's just a way if for... If someone out there listening understands NFTs and can explain it to us in a way that we'll understand, mm-hmm. please <laughs> reach out to us and try. If you can explain it in five minutes or less, let's make it. Yeah. Let's make that distinction. Like if there's a certain YouTube video that you know does a really good job, just send us the link because mm-hmm. we are very lost. <laughs> we sound like such boomers right now. The war ended in 1931 when uh, Salvatore Marizano uh, conspired with Masseria's top soldier, Charles Lucky Luciano, Luciano. Uh, to have Masseria killed. And that's the only time he's ever going to be mentioned. Yep, he has no more, meaning uh, Lucky Luciano will not come in contact ever again. Nope. <laughs> and that's foreshadowing, kids. Uh, Joe Masseria was murdered on April 15th, 1931 at the Nuova Via Tamareo. My birthday. Hey, aw. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> for being born on April 15th. Yeah, good work. <laughs> good job, me. Um, He met Luciano for lunch and drinks. Luciano left the table to go to the bathroom. And as soon as that happened, four trigger men entered the restaurant and shot Masarea in the back at least five times. So just in the middle of a diner, basically, is what I was told yeah. when I read that what this was. Uh, there's a few stories on what happens with that scenario. Like there's, mm-hmm. and that's that's a common thing with the mafia is there's different accounts depending on who's telling the story. Mm-hmm. Because the guys that do get caught like to trump it up because they want to make it sound like they're the biggest baddest guy in the block. So you never really know what the real details are unless like you actually saw it happen mm-hmm. and could tell. But yeah, it's very much it. It's very much a pissing contest at some points on who can be the, the right. best or the hardest guy. Like, Yeah, like the guy that probably got him was like, then I kicked open the doors, like two pistols in hand, shot 10 people of his closest bodyguards. It's like a boondocks. Made love to his wife yeah. and then shot him. It's like a boondocks saints like recreation where right? they like, zip lined out yeah. from the ceiling and spin Ooh. around and shoot everyone. What a movie. I oh. love that movie. Uh Maranzano emerged as the most powerful uh, mafia boss in the nation, setting up five separate criminal groups in New York and calling himself the boss of bosses. Yeah, but even before like all of this went out, like that's the main storyline. Like that's what's going to continue as the mo- like the mob as we know it. But like at the same time as all this, Al Capone was moving out of New York and like he, or not even out of New York, like he just came over to America because so he was born in 1899 and then came to America when he was a young guy, like a young boy. His parents weren't well off at all. They're very much poverty stricken, but he, he came over with his parents when he was a young boy, dropped out of school at 14 and then ended up working for one of the five points, gang, like the five points gang as a bouncer. And because he's working for a gang, he obviously got caught up in some of the violence associated with that. And that's how he got the, the three scars on his face during a, a little scrum outside the bar, and 
how he got his nickname Scarface. And by the age of 20, he moved to Chicago from New York and then worked under a mob boss named Johnny Torrio. And so when Torrio ended up retiring uh, from the mob, he let Capone take over. And that's where he kind of became a mo- like the pinnacle of the Chicago mafia. Mm-hmm. So after he got control, he just started making hand over fist money. He was running racetracks. He was selling booze. He was running brothels all around the greater Chicago area. And so he was kind of one of the first guys that started to really make a ton of money off of this because this Mm -hmm. is all happening while this other war is going on between the Italian families in New York. So he just got out of there and said, I'm going to start making money my own way, which he did, and very quickly became a figurehead in the entire mob. And the only only real enemy he had was uh, a man named Bugs Moran, who was a leader of a gang called the Northsiders, uh, who was, a, it was an Irish gang, so Irish against everyone again. Mm. So he and Capone had a lot of back and forths, and eventually it would become like a public feud, and that's when public attention towards the mob kind of turned a little sour. Because for a while, all these mob guys, you think about it, they're disenfranchised people making a name for themselves selling booze to people like they're kind of a robin hood figure mm-hmm. so these people the, the public in general looked kind of favorably upon these guys even though they're just thugs mm-hmm. but eventually once the violence became something that these people could see in their neighborhoods then it became we need to stop this like these guys aren't actually good people right yeah i mean for example, some of the violence that Capone specifically did, uh, him and some of his gunmen actually accidentally killed uh, a man named William McSwiggin, who was an aggressive prosecutor that tried to indict Capone, uh, but the eyewitness of that was going to basically put Capone in jail um, suddenly got very scared and lost all memory of the incident. <laughs> Um, but uh, William McSwiggin just happened to be out with, like this is a complete coincidence, happened to be out and about with uh, some of his old childhood friends who happened to be beer runners, but then Capone came and some other gunmen came, gunned down the beer runners, but McSwiggin was also there. So that's kind of where that shift starts to happen, as well as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you wanted to... Well, just before we get to that, like even like at the same time that Capone's starting to take over, like while the war is going on back in New York, there's a guy who doesn't really get mentioned a lot in Mafia talk because obviously Charles Luciano and Maranzano, those guys are the big names and those are the ones that end up becoming like the heads of the, the organization overall. But there's a guy named Arnold Rothstein, and he was a, the son of a, a pretty well-to-do businessman, which is not very like common mm. at this point among, amongst mafia members, but he kind of took the turn to that mafia lifestyle. So he started gambling and turning to blackmail instead of following in his businessman father's footsteps. And he's even the guy that is alleged to have fixed the 1919 World Series with the Chicago White Sox and... Uh, the Cincinnati Reds, I think it is. Right, yep. And so, like, that's a big public scandal now mm-hmm. that the mafia is apparently involved in. But, like, he continued on in the mafia, never got arrested because they couldn't prove that he did anything. And then by 1925, he was, like, one of the most powerful criminals in the country, and he was apparently the largest bootlegger in the United States. So... Even while all these big names are going around, there's guys like Arnold Rothstein, who's relatively unknown in the major scheme of the the mafia, who is literally the largest name in bootlegging, Mm. but no one ever says it. So that just shows how many people are involved at this point and how many people are making names for themselves. That's kind of one of the things that really stood out to me during this research. Like, we know all of these names. Like, they were not shy about who did what, what happened, right. when. Like, we literally have such an incredible amount of documentation on the mafia and the mob, like, who the key players were, down to everyone involved in each family. 
Like it's well, kind of kind that, of incredible. That kind of goes to like the shift in the mafia like way of life mm-hmm. because then well, they eventually just became public figures. Yeah. So then you just saw these people out. You knew their names. Like yeah. they weren't really hiding. They were hiding in plain sight. But they right. they had yeah. so many people under them that they couldn't really get the like the big names on anything because mm-hmm. they weren't physically most of the time weren't like the ones physically assaulting and like murdering people in broad yeah. daylight. So it's not like you can really say, well, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. You don't have any proof that he was the one directing it. Right. So, yeah. That is crazy. Like literally everyone, they made a movie about Al Capone. Yeah. Like Scarface, the shame of a nation. And Capone actually like got a, his own separate copy of the film and showed it in private screenings all the time. Yeah. Like this was just very common knowledge. Like, yeah, that's that's the guy. Like he's killed multiple people. He he is the one that does all the bootlegging, all that. And it's just like common knowledge. Capone is... kind of like lived it up while he was in jail. Honestly, like he mm-hmm. had his own private cell. It was it was like a little dorm room for him. Like he had a bed with like a desk and a TV. Yeah, he just had a grand old time. Honestly, yeah. But uh, but yeah, if you want to get into that St. Valentine's Day massacre that yeah, you mentioned earlier, yeah, that was kind of where I was headed next. So to set the scene, it's Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. But so is murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. The hearts were running red, but it was blood. Blood. There's blood. In- <laughs> so... Uh, this is the event uh, happened in the north side of Chicago on February 14th, 1929, where Capone and several gunmen shot and murdered seven, mem- seven members of Bugs Moran's gang with the infamous Tommy gun. And again, in the middle of the day, like... I also read somewhere that the Tommy gun is kind of like overplayed as far as like media representation. Oh, really? I, I guess it was like relatively expensive to get them at the time. So it just really wasn't like financially the way to do things. Like people use, people still use them, mm-hmm. obviously, but it wasn't as prolific as like the movies make it out to be. Right. So that was just something I found interesting. I also forgot to mention when we talked about the prohibition, but like how much World War I influenced the prohibition. Oh, yeah. Because of. Well, we're fighting Germany, and most of the breweries in the United States at the time were run by German people. Yeah. So just like that public sentiment turning against Germans, it made drinking look like a German thing, which kind of is. <laughs> are you, yeah. Are you saying, and Irish thing. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying that the American people villainized a, subsec- a subsection of its own people? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was just because of beer? Yeah. Oh, goodness. I also found very interesting that it was estimated that in 1927, Al Capone's net worth is estimated to be at 100 million. That's insane. In 1927, I'm even going to type in like the conversion of it, but 100 million is an incredible amount today. Back then, like he's he has to be one of the richest people and, on earth. And that's in like five years of him running the Chicago mob mm-hmm. because he didn't take it over until he was like 23 and by that time it was like 1922 something like that right so like that's not very long for him to just turn around and make literally hand over fist money like more than you know what to do with at that point (laughs) so but yeah back to like the public violence aspect like the the saint valentine's day massacre is probably the most well-known but they're like Arnold Rothstein, the guy that I was talking about earlier, like he was gunned down in a, the Park Central Hotel, like a big establishment over a gambling debt. So there's just like all of these relatively public murders just happening. Yeah. So it's it's very much so a war zone, like all over the country mm-hmm. between these guys. Yeah. And uh, just to wrap up on Capone, um, he wasn't eventually, unless you had more but he eventually was indicted for 22 counts of federal income tax evasion yeah all of this stuff he's doing he gets arrested for tax fraud yeah like that's what gets him i mean gotta cover hey, all your bases they, man all of these mafia guys said don't mess with the irs it's yeah. the one the one federal entity you can't like overcome nothing is more powerful than the irs that is incredible like not the chicago pd not 
literally any government agency but the IRS. <laughs> literally, don't mess with the do guys not, that control the money. Do not. Um, he eventually, um, after serving his sentence, uh, he eventually um, passed away in 1947 as a powerless recluse. And he uh, suffered the last eight years of his life with a advanced form of syphilis. Nice. That's fun. Leading to paresis. So that's fun. Yeah, not, I mean, I said he lived it up in prison, but <laughs> very much like not a fun time, but like as fun as it could be for him at the time. Like. <laughs> So then back to the New York War, or just uh, continuing on that. So after Maranzano became that leader of the mafia, this is where the phrase La Cosa Nostra comes in. And that was the official name for the mafia going forward. Which I think it means like our place or something similar to that, I think, is like yes. what the translation yeah. is. Basically, just like our territory, like this is mm-hmm. our family, our territory. So, don't mess. It just shows like how deeply rooted it was. He then established the code of conduct, a set of family divisions and structures, enacted procedures and laws for resolving disputes so another war wouldn't happen. Um, two of the most powerful La Cosa Nostra families, known today as the Genovese and the Gambino families, which we mentioned in episode one. Emerged from the restructuring efforts, he named uh, Charles Lucky Luciano, the first boss of what would later be known as the Genovese family. Luciano showed his appreciation five months later by sending five men dressed as police officers to Maranzano's office to murder him. Yeah. Luciano uh, was actually a huge proponent of throwing off the old traditions of the mafia. So basically starting to bring in other ethnicity or I don't even know how you want to say this. Nationalities. Nationalities, thank you, of different gangs to help in their efforts. Like, of course, knowing that they were the big dogs, the big gang in the area, in the entire country for that matter, but bringing them in for other jobs. Like you mentioned the Iceman. Yeah, and and guys like Luciano and Rothstein, like they were like they weren't outsiders per se, but like the La Cosa Nostra was so specific in who they would allow in because they were so set on everyone being primarily Sicilian, but like even like if you weren't Sicilian Italian, sometimes they wouldn't let you in. Like mm-hmm. that's how they want that's how closely they wanted to keep things to where they came from. And so guys like that were kind of Americanized like Rothstein and, and Luciano were like, we need to change this. Mm-hmm. Like all these old guys that are running it right now don't understand that there's just going to keep, they're going to be infighting this whole time because we won't just like suck it up and say like, yeah, you guys can all join us and we'll just work together. Right. So it, it, it was very much so like an old style mentality that he was trying to break the stigma of. And just like going on top of that, just it's so picturesque because the five men that dressed up as police officers to kill Maranzano, who was that last bastion of this old thinking, they were actually five Jewish gangsters. So that just kind of is almost picturesque, if you will. Yeah. A changing of the guard, if you will. But did you see why Lucky Luciano got the nickname Lucky? No, I didn't. So there is like at the same time that like, the uh the Capone stuff and like Rothstein getting gunned down was going on. He got abducted by like some gang members. It didn't say I didn't find who it was, but they took him in a limousine, took him to like this warehouse, beat the shit out of him, <laughs> stabbed him, and then hung him upside down from a wooden beam and he survived. Oh wow. And so that's how he got his nickname Lucky, because he survived the attack somehow. So he almost didn't even make it to the point where he could like realize a dream of uniting yeah. the mafia under one roof and then he he literally my ne- very next point is luciano became the most powerful mafia boss in america yeah so he went from that to this yeah like, that's incredible and I, that was when i was when i heard that it made the thought cross my mind like how is he setting up 
the murders of these bosses like is he just like rallying the younger crowd and saying like we need to get rid of these old guys so that we can like change how things are run because you tell the wrong guy that you're trying to get mm-hmm. rid of this dude you're gonna get killed immediately right right that's a very tricky line he's got to walk and the yeah. fact that he pulled it off is damn impressive yeah he uh so i believe two of the jewish gangsters that were the ones that killed marizano were actually like childhood friends of luciano okay so that was part of the reason why this worked to be honest yeah. um and yeah then just after the hit happened i'm sure he had a lot of convincing to do <laughs> yeah but uh, after he became the head, Luciano became the head of the mafia. This is where it really, like La Cosa Nostra, the mafia, started running like a major corporation. And he kind of changed the moniker, too. Like, now mm-hmm. this is where it becomes, instead of La Cosa Nostra, it becomes the commission. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because he wanted to get rid of those Sicilian ties. Like, he wanted to shake off everything that had to do with the old style. Yes, exactly. Like, And he even appointed, you know, seven families or seven bosses to basically take over different rackets um each family getting a different quote-unquote racket or illegal activity to manage so it's exactly like a fortune 500 company would run where one person is in charge of marketing one of finance etc yeah and they started this is like really the time when they started hiring like lawyers real estate agents yep. like all of these guys who are pretty much running things on the public side for them but they're getting paid off the books by the mafia to pretty much keep their interests. Mm-hmm. And this is where all of the background stuff really starts to become organized and efficient. And it literally is a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. Probably bigger, at, I mean, compared to companies at the time. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably like the Rockefellers and then them. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, like, I, the video that I watched, he said that at this point, like when they started hiring all these guys and like bribing all these like public officials and stuff at like the mid 20s to the early 30s these pin like the kingpins the higher ups of the mafia in general were spending up to like 7 million dollars a month on bribes alone wow that's ridiculous yeah and that's probably just for them like yeah just like uh, yeah, a necessary I mean, you, business you expense. look at capone he made so much money in like less than a decade <laughs> yeah. so he's making like 20 million dollars a year or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to say so like seven million dollars of that going towards making sure you stay where you are yeah that's small small cheese for like a guy like him small cheese for a big mouse if you will (laughs) i'm just picturing this gangster overlord as a little i don't know why i decided cheese was the right word but yeah (laughs) that's where we went yep and we're sticking to it he's just some parmesan wisconsin roots coming out yep oh oh didn't see you there (laughs) And oh, could you please move your Tommy gun? <laughs> yeah, because he's from Chicago. So yeah, so he probably... <laughs> Bratwurst. Yeah, I wonder if he had any interest in uh, investing in the Chicago Bears. What if the Bears were just run by... <laughs> by Capone. By Capone, the mafia. I don't even know if he was alive to see the Bears. When the no, Bears? maybe not. Bears yeah. didn't start till I don't know when. <laughs> I'm not going to try and guess. <laughs> yeah. So I have no idea. But That's anyways. a separate episode. Just yeah. the history of NFL history. <laughs> yeah. Not the history of the Bears. Yeah, no, just, not yeah. the Bears. But anyways, back to the Mafia. Back, we are all over here. Yeah, we are. But the at this time is like when that Omerta, that, that guideline, really becomes important. Because now that you have it organized, you don't want one cog in the machine being the reason that everything cr- like crashes down. Mm-hmm. So that code of conduct where you're not talking, it, it becomes so vitally important. And Luciano knew that, so he pushed it very hard. That was the one thing that he did keep from the old style of how things were run. Like, you really got to make sure that everyone stays in line, knows their place, and not only knows their place, but knows you can't talk to anyone outside of the families on what's going on here. Yep. However, in 1936, Luciano was sentenced to 30 to 50 years in prison for operating a prostitution ring. Ten years later, he was released from prison and deported to Italy, never to return. There, he became a liaison between the Sicilian Mafia and La Cosa Nostra, or the Commission. Uh, When he was convicted, when Luciano was convicted, 
Frank Costello became the acting boss. Uh, Costello led the family for approximately 20 years until May of 1957, when Genovese, excuse me, Vito Genovese, the former underboss. I don't know if it's Genovese or if it's Genovese. Oh. There's like so, I've heard like three different ways of saying it, so ooh. I don't know. I really hope I didn't just butcher that pronunciation. Let's go with Genovese from now on. It sounds cooler. Yeah, that just rolls. way more Italian. Genovese. (laughs) Look at us. (laughs) Getting all hot over here. (laughs) When Genovese took control by sending one of his soldiers, Vincent, the chin, Gigante. (laughs) That was one of my favorites, because every time I read it, I just thought of the crimson chin. (laughs) But uh, he sent uh, <laughs> the chin to murder uh, Frank Costello. Costello survived the attack, but relinquished control of the family uh, to Genovese. So what Jacob said, uh, and then Genovese named it after himself. So this is the start of the Genovese family uh, dynasty, let's call it, of the Pretty mafia. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, attempted murder charges against... The Chin were dismissed when Costello refused to identify the shooter. In 1959, it was... Oh, let's back up. Costello, like, ride or die to that Omerta. Like, it's like, I don't even care this guy yeah, shot me. Be, yeah, he did not rat out anyone. Like, so no one was ever convicted. Because he was there like, who shot you? He's yeah. like, I don't know. You, you kind of have to respect it. He's like, I've done this for 20 years. Like, let me just yeah. sit on a porch and carve birds. He did not have it very well. Like... He, granted, he was the leader for 20 years, but like ending this way, I feel like <laughs> there's a lot of resentment there. Right. But also, I feel like all of these guys are just like, that's just the way it goes. Like, at any point, anyone can be killed. Mm-hmm. So, in 1959, Genovese then was convicted of conspiracy to violate narcotics laws and sentenced to a 15 year sentence, but continued to run the family through his underlings from his prison cell in Atlanta, Georgia. I looked up pictures of the chin the to chin. see if he had a big chin, and he just, it's just a normal-looking guy. I yeah, I don't understand. That is just, that's, that looks like uh, Buzz from Home Alone. Yeah, it does. That's literally Buzz from Home Alone. I don't, I, that's the funniest part about, like, not only making this research so complicated because of all the different names, but, like, the nicknames half the time have nothing to do with who the guy is. Like, this mm-hmm. is Fat Tony, and he's, like, 135 pounds. Like, like soaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> but then you get guys like Jerry the Germ, Mar- Mariano, and we call him the Germ because he's literally three inches tall, and he's never going to leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> that had to be, like, just initiation day. You're given a pistol or something, and then... Yeah, you, like, draw nickname. out of a hat. <laughs> yeah. And then that's how you get your nickname. The chin is so funny. At the same time that Genovese was sentenced to prison and sent to prison, a man named Joseph Valeche uh, was sent to the same prison, but Valeche, all right, that's just getting wrong. Valeche, there's, there's just no way to not say that sexy. And I've I'm heard, sorry. I've heard his name pronounced Valaki. <laughs> so I don't over two. I don't know how any of these are pronounced. It's spelled oh, like Vala- it's spelled like Valachi, but I don't know if that's how you say it or not. I am just over fifty-one. I, hey, I'm not saying you were wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying I, I've heard it like three different ways. So I don't. Oh know. goodness! But anyway, this man, as he's just gonna be known, so Valachi, uh, survived three attempts on his life behind bars because he was labeled as a rat, as an informer, breaking that Omerta principle. And, but the uh, funny part is he wasn't at this point. He wasn't, no. Th- he, at this point, he was just a guy in jail. <laughs> yeah, he just happened to be sent. Um, when he was still in prison in 1962, he actually killed a man that he thought Genovese had sent to kill him. And for that, he was sentenced to a life for the murder. This sentencing was a turning point for Valici, who decided to cooperate with the U.S. government, officially breaking that Omerta principle. He was recruited by FBI agents and appeared before the U.S. Senate's Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations on September 27, 1963. He testified... Oh, sorry. Literally spilled the beans. Yep. Everything. (laughs) He was like, it was him on this date with that weapon. He was tight-lipped, and then he was just 
everything came out. He let out all of his feelings. He did what all men do and bottled everything up inside until it all came out violently one day. <laughs> Over one little thing. Yeah. That got way too... <laughs> and the wow. one little thing for him was killing a guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I've had enough of this. But uh, he testified that he was a member of this secret criminal society known as La Cosa Nostra. And revealed to the committee numerous secrets of the organization, including the name, structure, power bases, codes, swearing-in ceremony, and its members. Several years after he began cooperating with the FBI, Vito Genovese died in his prison cell. But by then, the Genovese family was under control of Philip... What? Okay, what is that? Benny Squint. What is that? What is that? I don't even know what that means. Benny Squint? That's literally just a different name. That's yeah. That's just a Philip. So his God-given name is Philip Lombardo, but his mafia name is Philip Benny Squints Lombardo. He's definitely a guy. I feel like talks really nasally. Oh, I don't know if that's actually, <laughs> but that's how I imagine him. <laughs> but he was an interesting guy because he like didn't actually want to run things from the front. Mm-mm. Like he took over, and in title was the leader of the Genovese family. But he was just like, I want to put guys in front of me as a block, pretty much. So he right. was like, I'm going to appoint other guys. You guys can be the face. I'm going to sit back and watch, which is the smartest thing to do if you are running an entire enterprise for the mafia. Especially because the first person that he did that with, Thomas Ebolai, was murdered in 1972. Yeah. And then turned over to Frank Frank Funzie Thierry. <laughs> Ironically, was not fun at all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't know where these names come from, man. Straight out of a hat. They had to have been. We got to come up with our mafia <laughs> titles. This is going to be bad. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. bad. <laughs> you put me on a spot no, uh, twice yeah. this episode. All right, someone out there who listens and knows us relatively well, yeah, give us give it. us examples of what our mafia nicknames are going to be. Comment on our ratings on Spotify or Apple. Rate five stars and comments. What do you think our mafia names would be? Yes, that's an awesome idea. Throughout the 1980s, then, the Genovese, fa- Genovese family hierarchy went through several changes. Uh, Thierry, who was recognized on the street as the family boss in the late 70s, was convicted for operating a criminal organization through a pattern of racketeering, racketeering that included murder and extortion. Anthony Fat Tony Salamo then fronted Salerno. as the boss. What's up? Salerno. Sorry. At least that's what Salerno, I had. Salerno, yeah, yeah. That's what I had. But I think uh, Tony Salerno came up in the Gardner episode that we did because I think he was one right. of the guys that they were kind of uh, like shadowing yep. after it happened because he was one of the prime suspects. And then he was just running things out of a gar- like a mechanic's garage. Yep. <laughs> Fat Tony. I mean, literally just like Tony Soprano, apparently. Yeah. Um, he and his bosses of the other four New York families were convicted for operating a criminal enterprise, the LCN Commission. Lombardo, his two captains in prison and his health failing, then turned full control of the family over to Gigante, the man who tried to kill Costello 30 years earlier. The chin's in charge. The take <laughs> chin. Hey, God, that nickname. Um, then in 1986, a second member turned against the family when Vincent Fish Caffaro apparently just loved him a good piece of fried fish. But did you see how they caught Gigante, like Gigante? Or do you see no, I, no he, I did not. So from what I read, he basically like pretended to be mentally ill and, like, oh. and ran things from behind the scenes. Yeah, and then like one day he was just like, hobbling down the street and they just arrested him and they're like yeah you're we know that you're running things (laughs) you're not fooling anybody wow he just decided to offend everyone (laughs) (laughs) he was like fuck it if it keeps me safe (laughs) yeah right so vincent fish kafaro uh decided to also cooperate with the fbi and testified making the second person to break omerta um according to his sworn statement Gigante ran the family from behind the scenes while pretending to be mentally ill. Uh, Gavaro said that this behavior helped further insulate 
Gigante from authorities while he ran the family's criminal activities until they found him on the street. Yes. And then he was arrested for racketeering and murder conspiracy Died before he died in prison in 2005. I also have, I did say see some other notes I had, but he was, like, Gigante was found in a bathrobe, like, just walking through New York's East Village. And they gave him the nickname of the Odd Father. Yeah, <laughs> that is so that perfect. Too. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the these, Odd Father. These oh guys my goodness, and their fucking nicknames, man. right, man? So you mentioned uh, he died in prison in 2005, December 2005, uh, in the same federal hospital. Excuse me, in the same federal prison where Gambino family leader John Gotti had died three years earlier. So apparently just not a great place. No. The Genovese crime family was once considered the most powerful organized crime family in the nation. Members and their numerous associates engaged in drug trafficking, murder, assaults, gambling, extortion, loan sharking, labor racketeering, money laundering, arson. Gasol- gasoline bootlegging. Why was that needed? <laughs> and and infiltration of legitimate businesses, to name a few of the a few. Yeah, the family members were also involved in stock market manipulation and other illegal frauds and schemes, which were evidenced in the FBI's mob socks investigation. And they so. also camped on private land. I'm, I just, no. I just made that up. Um, I thought that was like about <laughs> just deep, like dive into like a no. completely another like story, no. <laughs> and then like I, big I, shark tuna. I like. just wanted to follow that like whole list of like actually yeah. notorious crimes. So like <laughs> they collected rainwater illegally, and then they were the first. <laughs> they were the first people to ever get arrested for loitering. Exactly, they jaywalked. <laughs> yeah, they jaywalked. That's what did in this. <laughs> but um. Yes, and that uh, kind of concludes what I have. Yeah, for that, that was pretty much like how the family. mafia pretty much of... declined most of the way to where it's still around, but yeah, not nearly as like notorious as it was. Yeah. Not to its infamy of we're literally making movies about the people that are running the Chicago crime organization while they're still living. Yeah. So the uh, the one other thing that I had was the uh, there is a. A butcher from New York who ran a place called the Graham Avenue Meats and Deli in Brooklyn. And his name was Mike the Butcher Virtuoso. That's so strong. <laughs> That's like so fitting, too, because he actually ran a meat shop. They actually weren't creative at all. They were just like stating his Very literal, yes. But uh, he ran that the Graham Avenue Meats and Deli in Brooklyn. And he apparently just kept like a bunch of like phone numbers and names and nicknames and mob titles of a bunch of people in the mafia and just had literally a Rolodex full of, like, all of these people's names. So the FBI, like, took him down and found all of them. They're like, this guy just gave us a gold mine of people that we can just go and, ser- like, arrest now. And so a-, a few of the names that the article mentions are Johnny Sideburn Sorello and Glenn the Wheel Guadagno. <laughs> oh, wow. These are just... The names haven't gotten any more, like, coherent throughout the years. They are the most creative names. Like, yes. They're super fun. Very fun. But I don't know if they're actually good names. <laughs> but uh, both of these guys were part of the Lucchese organized crime family. And... Uh, the prosecutors tried to like get this guy on working with the mob, Mike the Butcher, uh, pretty much saying like you've been working with them, like you have all of their names. And the I think the funniest part of this article is his lawyer tried to defend him by saying he has an impeccable work history. That was his defense. <laughs> if I'm the butcher, I'm just looking at him like that's all you have. <laughs> Literally, he's just like, yeah, he's got a good work history, and he's he's never admitted to working with the mob. That was the defense. Oh. That was literally Ooh. all of the defense. He's probably looking at him like, we're giving you mob money, and that's what you got yeah, for us. Th- that's the best you got. He's, yeah. he, I think he pretty much just like said like, yeah, you're you're screwed. We can't help you. The lawyer's defense was like, he's swell. Maybe the jury will think he's a good guy if yeah. he's got an impeccable work history. Like he hasn't called in once in the past three years. Yeah, like. 
He's got employee of the month seven times at his own butcher shop. Apparently, he, there's a sandwich that he made called the Godfather sandwich. Ooh. And apparently, it just made people sick all the time. <laughs> but it was so Ugh. good, I guess. So <laughs> it was like his most famous sandwich. But he just huh. like never wore gloves and stuff when he made his food. <laughs> so he just made a bunch of people sick. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's, and that's how hilarious. The- <laughs> like, that just is a butcher got taken down and like. That just led to the collapse of a major crime family. Yeah, literally. But yeah, that's pretty much the the end of the mafia as it was known. I mean, as we said, there's still like oh. little strands here and there of it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like small small time families running stuff here and there, but mm-hmm. nowhere near as influential as they once were. Now it's just corporations and CEOs. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's a real pick your poison. Yeah, type it really deal. is. But yeah, that was extremely fun. I mean, two full episodes of talking about basically the a huge corporation that was just illegal allowed to happen for a while. To happen, yeah. It gave us a lot of good good movies. So inspiration for tremendous movies and a lot of great video games. I still can't think of. <laughs> I've been like waiting for you to say one because I'm like trying to think of good ones too, and I just cannot think of anything honestly it'll come to me eventually especially while i'm stalling to i'm an idiot there's literally a series called the mafia really yeah <laughs> i've never played it so i don't know yeah oh my goodness Sounds well there right, you though. go there you go listeners gta <laughs> yep and then tune in for our video game podcast remember that yeah it's like third episode yeah uh big aspirations uh, we got enough on our hands running one podcast. So. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, I, guess, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this little overview of the uh, American Mafia and its origins. It was definitely an interesting one because mm-hmm. I didn't know like any of this stuff pretty much. So Me either. It was super interesting. Again, you, for the names as well as just to talk about yeah, street gangs. And you, know? you hear the names like Al Capone and like all of those guys. So you know all the names, but you don't actually know like who they are for the most part unless you've obviously researched it like we have. Mm-hmm. But up until now, I had no idea like how these guys got started, where they came from, or like what their backgrounds were. So, Or even like what the motivations were. Like we talked about a lot last episode that they were immigrants that came to America like the 1900s um immigrants came to america basically looking to start a new life and i guess fell into old habits if you will just out of desperation and led to a hundred years of do you want me to go the rap list again no gasoline trafficking (laughs) that was their biggest crime uh but yeah it's it's kind of insane when you think about the mafia you think about like all these like huge crime bosses who are just mm. terrible thugs. But like honestly, it just started because people wanted a chance. Right. So it it just shows that when you push people down too far, things are gonna come back and bite you. Right. They naturally say that's enough and then take advantage of their opportunities. Very much so. That they're they're really given. And you know what uh, opportunities you should take advantage of, listener? Follow us on social medias. Do you want to know what our social medias are? It, it, tell them Evan. At gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcasts at or on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and myself at Wadevsky's. And then you can find us on TikTok at gems of history pod. That whole time you were doing that, I was trying to think of a mob nickname for you. And I, I can't think of any. No. My, bra- my brain is shot. Yeah, too much mafia talk. <laughs> I've talked far too much. <laughs> but yeah, in addition to following us there, uh, please do rate and review us. You can do it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as we mentioned in the last episode. Uh, five stars would be preferred, but if you have some constructive criticisms, we will also listen to those. But What's this we talk? <laughs> Uh, and then you can email us at gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Please do reach out to us there and tell us what NFTs are. <laughs> yes. We don't understand. Also, if you have any like personal stories that have to do with like the mafia or the mob, like if you have family members who are maybe like, don't incriminate, don't incriminate any of your family Snitch. members, but like <laughs> say like, hey, I, I knew this guy who was part of the mob and he told me some stories like that'd be cool. But 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, don't, don't incriminate anyone. Uh, but do it for us for our ratings. Uh, but yes, we will be back next week. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing yet. Uh, it depends how ambitious I am in getting my notes done for my big topic. Hopefully, we can start on that. But mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, and maybe you'll get some like fun, lighthearted stuff for once to talk about. Yeah, maybe we'll be silly. <laughs> maybe. But yeah, that's all we got for you guys this week. So thank you guys for tuning in. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you guys for sticking with us for over 50 episodes now. And almost exactly a year since I first released it. So, Oh my goodness, that's right. The first release date. Yeah, it's coming up. It I, is coming I, up. This episode will be just before that happens. Oh. But we're coming up on it, man. It's Getting crazy. all nostalgic. Didn't we release like three? We released two on the first day. Oh, gotcha. So. We just tried to get ahead of the curve with us missing an episode here and there. So. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we only missed a couple weeks this year, so I think that's pretty good. Yeah, you're welcome, listeners. But thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon.